down in the grip of oppression I fought for my liberty I paid with the blood of my people Freedom has never been free Now my door's always open To dreamers and friends But when I'm attacked I protect and defend Because my name is America Welcome everyone, this is Karen Schoen, you're listening to the Prison of America's Education, brought to you on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network, with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance. We have a very special show today, I am so happy to have with us Chris Wright, who has done an amazing job countering the lies that are being told about the wonders of communism and socialism. Chris has a terrific website, and it is called liberato.com, and also fighter-and-the-fly.com, where you can find his incredible writing and insight and many of the podcasts and things that he has done. So welcome to the show, Chris, and thank you so much for joining me today. Karen, thanks for having us back. The Anti-Communism Action Team is a group, grassroots group, dedicated to fighting communism at home and abroad. You've mentioned our webinar. We do have a free weekly newsletter. We also have a speakers bureau. We're available to speak anywhere by video conferencing on uh, the horrors of communism. We have both survivors of communism and we have subject matter experts like we're going to hear from Dr. Lee Edwards from the Heritage Foundation. Now, he's going to talk to us about how socialism has failed everywhere it's been tried, but to give him a proper introduction, Lee is a scholar at the Heritage Foundation and an author or editor of 25 books. He's the co-founder of the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation in Washington, D.C., VOC. His most recent works include A Brief History of the Cold War, which he co-authored with Elizabeth Edwards Spaulding. His articles have appeared in the Wall Street Journal, National Review, Human Events, and the Claremont Review of Books, as well as the American Spectator. Now, that's the, that's the official introduction. I want to add a few personal words. The Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation is congressionally chartered. It is a monumental achievement. And the man who is responsible for bringing this wonderful institution to life is with us here, Dr. Lee Edwards. The man is a visionary and he's also unfailingly kind, which is a saying something in Washington, D.C., where you know it's often said, if you want a friend, buy a dog. He is one of the very finest individuals I know. And with that introduction, uh, Lee is going to talk to us about how socialism has failed everywhere it's been tried. He's going to draw on three case studies he's done, these countries of Israel, India, and the United Kingdom, all of which flirted or more than flirted with uh, common ownership of the means of production for decades and left it all behind. So with that, Lee, go right ahead. And oh, before I get to that, Lee is bringing us news tonight. The VOC has been working on a bricks and mortar museum. And I'll let Lee tell more of the story, but it's going to open next week in Washington, D.C. 
So Lee, please say a few words about the museum and what it means to you. Well, I'll be happy to do that. Thank you so much, Chris and Karen, also for inviting me and to be with you. Us, uh, us anti-communists have to stick together. Some, actually, some 30 years ago, we first came up with the idea of a memorial museum to the victims of communism. This was shortly after the fall of the Berlin Wall in late uh, 1989, and it seemed to, to a number of us that already people were forgetting the horrors of communism. They said, oh, well, the wall is down, the Soviet Union, the empire is dissolving, that's it, we can go on with our lives. And we said, no, 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 we must continue to remember the victims of communism. And also, we need to track those people who are still under communism. Frankly, a lot of people thought that we were even crazy to talk about doing a memorial or a museum in Washington, D.C. to the victims of communism. But we stuck to it. And I think what has happened is in the last year or two, because of what China has been doing, and now what really has happened this year with the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, we can see that the communism is not dead, unhappily. Uh, it is all too alive and all too well in places like China and Cuba uh, and North Korea and, and Vietnam and by Laos. Those are the five communist regimes that still exist in the world today. And they number about 1.5 billion people. So we need to pay attention to them. What we're going to do with our museum in one way is sort of simple, and that is we're going to be committed to remembrance of those more than 100 million victims of communism since the coming of the Bolshevik Revolution, and research. We're going to bring some of the finest scholars there are in America and even around the world and have them focus on particular topics. It so happens that we have an Adrian Zenz, uh, one of the finest uh, scholars in the world about what's happening in China. He has uh, absolute, uh, the, the contents which come to him through texts of the Communist Party and other sources inside mainland China uh, are without a doubt proof that what Beijing is practicing against the Uyghurs, the Muslim the Chinese there in the Western China, is genocide. Nothing less than genocide. Trying to wipe out Uyghur culture, uh, education, taking perhaps as much as two million of them and putting them in so-called re-education camps. This is something which is going to become increasingly a major issue. It will block China's attempt to be a major uh, power, a superpower in the world. And it shows you what can be done with the right kind of research and the right kind of remembering. That's perhaps, a, to my mind, it is an indication that if you stick to it, if you have that vision, which you talked about, Chris, which we had all those years ago, and if you stick to it and persist in it, and if your cause is right, and I think our cause is right, then it will achieve success. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing when we open our museum. And I hope that the, the listeners of our program today will come to Washington, D.C. 
visit us at our museum. Let's get on to our topic now. Uh, Lee, uh, if you could tell us, uh, I'll have some questions later, as I'm sure Karen will, but if you could begin to tell us about how socialism has failed everywhere it's been tried. We began doing, we began doing the research on this. We're, people keep saying over and over again, when I say people, I mean people sympathetic to socialism. Oh, socialism has never failed because it's never been tried. And I was just very skeptical. It just seemed to be too, too easy, too slippery a way of, of uh, making a statement about socialism. So we dived into sort of the records and we looked at history. And here is what we found. Following World War II and for the next several decades, in three very distinct countries, uh, Israel, a small uh, non-agricultural non uh, nation in the Middle East, India, a very large 1.2, 1.3 billion people now, agricultural country, people were tired of producing and of working for others and wanted to do more of it for themselves and for their families. And so uh, because of this hyperinflation, because uh, people were tired of being dictated to by the government, and because someone named Milton Friedman, an American economist, came to Israel and said, no, wait a minute, you, you cannot keep going the socialist route because if you do, you're going to destroy the country. And they decided, and they held elections in which they rejected socialism by election. And as a result, what has happened? They, well, take for example, the inflation fell from 400 to single digits in just one year. The business of people being allowed to become entrepreneurs, particularly in technology and in communications, the social media and so forth, the extent to which Israel today is one of the leading countries in the world in technology and high-tech technology. And all because they, yes, uh, it took a while for them to learn their lesson. And as a result of it, they rejected socialism and adopted capitalism and a free market. Now, so this is a, this was a small Middle Eastern country, no particular resources, uh, but became wealthy and prosperous through capitalism. But consider India, second most populous nation in the world, starting in the late 40s, about the same time as Israel. They achieved their independence from Great Britain. And in their new constitution, which they wrote, they refer to themselves as a socialist republic. So there's no question about they were making a commitment to being a socialist nation and a socialist government. What happened? Again, after 25 years, one half of the population was at the poverty level. One half, which is to say 500, 600 million people barely able to survive, barely able to find food to eat. Why? Because they had adopted a centralized government in which the means of production, distribution were controlled, in which entrepreneurship, small businesses were denied an opportunity, in which there was no foreign investment allowed, and following again this idea of if we just turn it over to the bureaucrats, they're going to know better than we how to conduct our lives 
and our economy. And yet, following those that 25 year failed experiment in socialism, one half of the population was at the poverty level. Within 10 years of after abandoning and rejecting socialism and adapting a more free market approach, what do we have in India? We have today the largest middle class in the world is there, perhaps numbering again some two or 300 million. So instead of that many living in poverty, that many are prosperous in a middle class and making their way up the economic ladder. So again, just to, to, to summarize, we've, we've looked at both uh, Israel and India, both of whom for some 20, 25 years each tried to follow the, the socialist path, uh, wound up with massive uh, inflation, widespread poverty, and des- decided that they were going to reject socialism. They were tired of it. They were fed up with it and adopted a free market approach to their economy. The third example is Great Britain, which following World War II, the British Labour Party adopted a socialist platform and said that we're going to nationalize everything. We're going to put uh, labor unions in control of everything. And um, we're going to bring about a utopia here in Great Britain. What happened? Things were so bad by the 1970s that Margaret Thatcher, a woman running for prime minister from the Conservative Party ticket, won first woman prime minister in history and said the first they were going to do is denationalize everything. We're going to sell off all of these various things which have been run by the government and let the market take care of them. What happened? Again, within a, an amazingly short period of time, just, just a few years, Great Britain, which had been called the sick man of Europe more recent times because of socialism, became one of the most prosperous nations of Europe. And as a matter of fact, was so confident that it left, uh, <laughs> left the EU, right? Became so controversial. But they said, we don't have to depend upon others particularly in Brussels, to tell us how to, how to produce our goods and sell our goods. So these three very dissimilar countries, the small, non-industrial, the large agricultural, and this industrial giant, Great Britain, all of them tried socialism. All of them rejected it for the simplest of reasons, and that is that socialism doesn't work. Well, I have lots of questions, but uh, let's go to Karen first for a reaction. Karen? Well, I have to say, Lee, you've given me hope because <laughs> I agree with you. Socialism does not work. So if we are fortunate enough to turn over our Congress and actually have some Americans who are interested in promoting America, then I believe we can get out of the mess we are in, and that has given me hope. Any response to that, Lee? Well, I think well, that's I think true, that's true because, because we we know how resilient the um, the market is, and uh, all you have to do is to give it an, a chance to operate. And Ronald Reagan, for example, proved that so very very well back in the 1980s uh, with his uh, supply side economics. 
as soon as that happened, instead of a, a negative growth of GDP, it soared to 6% after, uh, in 1983, 84, and then averaged 4.5% increase of the GDP for the rest of the 80s and into the 90s. So, I mean, the, the facts are there. It is only when you deny those facts and start dreaming and sort of fall yourself into into flights of fancy that you find uh, people rejecting capitalism, if you will, and adopting socialism. It just doesn't work. It's been proven over and over. We say over and over. I think it's uh, somebody counted it up all the times, and it was like four dozen times if you count all the Eastern Bloc countries. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Ends up in somewhere in the high 40s. Going on now to my I question. A, Go ahead, Karen. I have a question. Knowing full well what these countries have gone through and how socialism does not work, why are they now involved in the WEF, the World Economic Forum, that wants to do nothing more than bring socialism to the world? Well, I think you have here the elites wanting one thing and the people wanting another. And the elites, of course, are always thinking that they can produce a, a paradise in this life because they don't believe in an afterlife. Therefore, they're always laboring away to figure out how can we make things perfect here. But it can't be made perfect here. And, the, and most ordinary people out in the streets, common sense citizens, understand that. And it is only when the elites are given or seize power or somehow subvert themselves into control power that we have these these problems if you let the people and reagan always had such great faith in in the people that if they're given the right facts and the right independence they will make the right decision here's a fun little fact in my news roundup this week uh i included a little item about klaus schwab and he's got a bust of lenin on his bookshelf so I wrote there, okay, so Lenin did the Red Terror, which dispatched uh, maybe 100,000 people uh, to death. And so I, I posed the question at, at the end of my newsletter this week, so what does Klaus Schwab have planned for us? <laughs> Gosh, I didn't know about that. Oh, you know, it. so that, that that's beyond ignorance. I mean, that is just, you know, if you listen to them, Lee, they constantly say depopulation, depopulation, the world is overcrowded, there's not mm -hmm. enough food we're creating. Now they're creating not enough energy. And I believe, truly believe, that genocide is part of their plan, and this is Klaus Schwab. It certainly is true that this is what uh, the Chinese communists have in mind for the Uyghurs, is genocide. And... Um, we know that people who believe that they have the, the secret uh, and then try to force that on people very often wind up uh, killing them and strangling them and executing them and sending them off to the gulag. Yeah, it's so is that what he has in store for us to answer your question? Well, if and it, 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 unless we make sure that they do not achieve power and authority and uh, that means that people have to be very, very active, uh, whether it's politically or economically or culturally, what have you. Well, that perfect society. Well, Pol Pot thought he was creating the perfect society. So he ends up killing a third of the Cambodian population or whatever it was. And exactly. They, 
they said uh, one of the categories of people that had to go was was uh, uh, were people who wear glasses. I go, wait a minute, I wear glasses. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, that well, I think so that's true. That's that's communism gone crazy, and uh, but it, they they really thought that they were doing something extraordinary and and trying to convert a an entire population and of course it wasn't possible terrible terrible circumstances well karen i have uh two more questions do we have time for two questions for lee uh yes today lee i went back and reread that article that i asked you to uh, recount here on this show and uh what struck me again i had forgotten but you initially you said that in all three countries, socialism worked initially, and there were pretty good, pretty good growth rates in these countries for a few years. But then, common to all three, they hit a wall of complexity that central planning just couldn't get, couldn't, uh, wasn't up to the job. So once they hit that wall of complexity, their uh, economy, economies began to fall apart, exhibit all the problems you discussed here today, and uh, <clears throat> then they, they. Uh, jettisoned the socialism and brought in free market concepts. So I'm wondering if you have any additional thoughts on this wall of complexity that that uh, central planning just can't get past. Mm, well, I think that I'd I'd forgotten that's a pretty good phrase if I did say so myself. But I think also another way of looking at this is what uh, F. A. Hayek called the fatal conceit. The fatal conceit of the socialists and of the planners and of the communists is that they think that if they can bring to bear the right experts, the right intellectuals, that somehow they can solve even the most complex of problems, but that's not possible. And that is their fatal conceit. Uh, of course, it's fatal not only for themselves, but for the people who suffer under their uh, arrogance uh, and their willingness or their attempts to try to produce a, a utopia in this life. Well, speaking of um, fatal conceit, I feel like I'm living in Atlas Shrugged because mm. in that book, Wesley Mooch was the government uh, czar and uh, they would intervene in the economy. Then when things got worse, they would intervene in the economy more, the government would. And so I want to bring this up to date, right up to the, the very minute, this very minute, and talk about Joe Biden invoking the Defense Production mm. Act to, uh, to produce solar panels. Uh, the whole baby formula fiasco, which the government created from start to finish. Uh, I'm wondering if you have any comment about uh, current events in that regard. Well, I don't like to get into politics, Chris, and 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 I'm 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 not a politician. I'm an historian and a biographer. I like to sort of uh, take a look at things. Well, yeah, I'd like to, to to do that, but also I would like to bring up a little bit about uh, Scandinavian socialism and the myth of Scandinavian socialism. And again, our research, we looked into it, and, and I again, I, I did not know this, but that Sweden, back in the 70s, uh, the 60s and the 70s, rejected capitalism, which had enabled them to have this wonderful welfare state that they, that they enjoy there, allegedly, in, in Sweden. And for about 15 or almost 20 years, uh, they were nationalizing companies, they were centralizing economic decision-making and so forth, as a result of which uh, some of the most prominent companies 
in Sweden left, just pulled out. How do you pronounce it? Uh, Ikea, 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 whatever that is. Uh, Ikea. Ikea. That's an example, I think, of that even there in the so-called Scandinavian socialism, that they, too, rejected socialism. Not welfareism, but socialism. Well, let, let me just put it to you this way, Karen, rather than my, my giving a particular opinion, because uh, as I say, I'm not a politician, I'm an historian. I like to let time pass a little bit before making judgments. But I think if our listeners would uh, hopefully uh, spend some time looking at uh, Fox News and uh, a wonderful newspaper that we have here in Washington, the Washington Times, which has a weekly edition, uh, which is uh, sums up the, the major stories of the day. Uh, if they'll take a look at some of the uh, electronic outlets that we have right now, whether it's National Review Online or The Federalist or what have you, there is plenty of information out there which can, I think, lead you to the right conclusion, which is that we are headed in the wrong way, in the wrong direction, and it's time to turn it around. So let me just leave it at that, if I may. And if I could, I'd like to say a little something about the the myth of, of Scandinavian socialism, because it's relevant to what we're talking about here. With Hold some, that with thought. Some, some distance. Hold that thought. Okay. We have to go for a break, and we will be right back, folks. Don't go away. This is an incredible conversation, and you need to hear it. We'll be right back. This is Karen Show. You're listening to the Prism of America's Education brought to you on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance. We'll be right back. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has, creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, Get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. We are America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. 
poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control label insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Welcome back, everyone. Hope you had a great break. I certainly did. Had a wonderful conversation with Lee and Chris, and now I'm going to bring you all back into this conversation because it's something that needs to be told. This is Karen Schoen. You're listening to the Prism of America's Education, brought to you on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance. Please take a look at the Alliance website and tailor make those items for your state. There is no reason why we cannot share Americans coming together and putting together the best plan possible, the one that actually works. We keep on hearing how we should be more like Scandinavia, so I would like to know what it is. Yes, exactly, and and, uh, that uh, Bernie Sanders and others, Elizabeth Warren, others, uh, AOC, they're always putting up one of the Scandinavian countries, usually Denmark or Sweden, and say, we should be more like them. Well, again, doing some diligence in my research, we discovered that Sweden had, uh, after nearly a century of following the market of capitalism and of becoming one of the wealthiest countries in the world, in the top five, decided that they would go the socialist way. And for a period of something like 15 or 20 years, followed that, nationalizing, uh, centralizing, making sure that uh, entrepreneurs had as little space and opportunity as possible, as a result of which they fell out of the top 10 down in the 20s. Uh, Their GDP slumped. Some of their major industries just walked out the door and settled in other countries. And Sweden, which is put up so often as an example of socialism, rejected socialism. That's good news. And like I said, I'm so glad we talked to you today because you've actually given me hope um, that just because we are on this downward spiral, we don't have to stay here, folks. That is going to be up to us. We are the ones who can turn this around. It's not going to come from anybody else. There isn't anybody on a magic horse, white horse, that's going to come in and save us. We have to do that ourselves. And thank you, Lee, for bringing that to the forefront. This is so important. Folks, when your kids talk about socialism, you have to talk to them because socialism is not another network that they should join. That's well put, Karen. Good to be with you. Thank you, Lee. Where can everyone uh, find you with Chris? Um, well, they can find Lee Edwards' work at the Heritage Foundation. That's heritage.org. 
and the anti-communism action team is a grassroots group that I run. We're at spiderinthefly.com with hyphens between the words. We have the free weekly newsletter. Um, you can sign up for that at mail at spiderinthefly.com. Again, hyphens between the words. There's no charge and your uh, contact information is never sold or shared. This is all grassroots. We're not trying to make any money at this. And we do have the Speakers Bureau, uh, subject matter experts, survivors of communism were available anywhere free of charge uh, through video conferencing. And if you happen to be in the Washington DC area, a number of our speakers are there. And so we can show up in person. Karen, and I just reminded, I believe it was Edmund Burke who said, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And uh, it seems to me that is exactly the challenge before us as you put it so eloquently, that we, we can turn things around. We have done it in the past. It can be done, but we have to have the necessary persistence and grit to do so. Thank you very much, Lee. Take care. All the best. Thanks, Lee. Uh, Chris, since yeah. Lee is gone and has mentioned all about the different ways of communism, I believe that it's important that our listeners understand that what's going on in this country today is being done on purpose. And nothing to me is more evident than what Secretary Mayorkas did with the border. And I know that you wrote an article on that. Can you share that with everyone, please? I sure can. And uh, there was just a clip, who was it? It was sent, uh, Representative Johnson from Louisiana had Mayorkas before his committee, the House committee, and uh, said, uh, uh, it, given everything that Mayorkas has done with the border, it's hard to believe that it's not intentional. And he even mentioned the prospect that Mayorkas could be impeached if the Republicans take back the House. Uh, so I found that all of that very interesting. But the article that I wrote, the commentary that I wrote that you're referring to, Karen, is uh, I compiled all of the policy changes that Mayorkas has implemented to uh, that have the effect of opening the border. So I will, uh, and these commentaries are written from a script, so I will go ahead and read from the script now. DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas told Congress in April, late April, his department has effectively managed the crisis at the southern border. Secretary Mayorkas is an excellent liar. Not only is his department not effectively managing the situation, he and others in the Biden administration have deliberately caused the situation with numerous policy changes intended to open the border in the name of racial equity, or as I call it, racial payback. Let's take a trip in the Wayback Machine and look at some of those changes, shall we? The day before I wrote this, it was revealed the Biden administration has already started letting more illegal aliens into the country despite Title 42 COVID restrictions by exempting them from health regulations altogether. A memo went out instructing the Border Patrol to work with advocacy groups to get as many illegal aliens as possible into the country using the exemption process. This means the expected Title 42 avalanche of new arrivals is already starting. When the COVID restrictions are eventually lifted, the administration plans to release the flood of new arrivals on their own recognizance or with a notice to appear, which as everybody knows, is often ignored. 
It was also reported late April, secret night flights to move illegal aliens by the hundreds of thousands into multiple states are continuing. Many of the aliens on those flights are unaccompanied children. The White House previously admitted a Biden policy decision caused such children to flow across the border in large numbers. The Biden administration also took steps to reunite families separated at the southern border. This includes allowing parents who are not currently in the U.S. to enter the country to settle with their children who are here illegally. U.S. authorities are releasing illegal alien families without court dates or sometimes without any paperwork at all. Earlier this year, the administration allowed illegal criminal aliens to be released into the general population after they finished their sentences instead of taking them into custody for deportation as federal law requires. A DHS rule change gave leniency to illegal aliens guilty of nominally less serious crimes. Wife beaters and other felons now get to stay in the country. At the same time, the number of ICE detainers has dropped by 75% under Biden. This means that far fewer criminal illegal aliens are being picked up by the feds for deportation after serving time in state jails. Remember, Secretary Mayorkas once said, just because somebody's in the country illegally doesn't mean they should be deported. They get to stay under the current regime. He followed this up with another policy change, declaring illegal aliens could not be arrested at schools, parks, daycare centers, or just about anywhere else they might actually be. Administration policies overall have cut the deportation of the illegal aliens by 90%. The Biden administration is ending a program that allowed border agents to quickly return illegal crossers back over the border. Alejandro Mayorkas has been accused of lying in Senate testimony, claiming he is working to deport, catch, and release illegal aliens who fail to show up for ICE appointments when ICE has been telling them they won't be arrested. The Biden administration also reversed the Trump administration's move to discourage people more likely to need welfare from coming here. Biden is also taking refugee admissions to the highest number in 30 years. DHS plans to allow people who have committed fraud in applying for U.S. citizenship to remain citizens, saying the important thing is for them not to have to worry about their future. The administration took immigration courts out of the asylum process and assigned low-level bureaucrats to quickly rubber stamp asylum claims on the spot when illegal aliens arrive without any serious examination. The administration also stopped requiring GPS monitoring for illegal aliens released into the country. The administration did its best not to comply with a court order to reinstate Trump's Remain in Mexico policy, then fought the policy all the way to the Supreme Court. Illegal aliens can now present their deportation and arrest warrants as acceptable forms of identification to board domestic flights. How accommodating. It's not the only way the administration has rolled out the welcome mat for illegal aliens. The Biden administration reallocated COVID relief money, money meant for Americans to house illegal aliens pouring across the border. The, the administration is developing a smartphone app to do pre-screening before illegal aliens even get here. Finally, Joe Biden stopped construction on the border wall, costing taxpayers $72 million so far to shut it down. Hmm. I detect a pattern here. Can you see it? The Biden administration is opening the borders at every turn. Alejandro Mayorkas told Congress in late April he is effectively managing the crisis. Sure. And I'm the tooth fairy. He also once declared the border is closed. Funny guy, huh? He also dismissed the idea of national borders altogether, saying they should be viewed as points of connection to facilitate the flow of people and goods from different countries. Alejandro Mayorkas is an excellent liar, exactly the quality you need in a Secretary of Homeland Security if your goal is to erase the border while at the same time convincing people the border is more secure than ever.
you can lie to my face, but I got to tell you, the gaslighting is not appreciated. Well, you are right on as always. And folks, Mayorkas has been lying and so has this administration. And what they're telling you is also a lie. Today I saw a clip of the caravan that's forming in Mexico. And they're telling us that it's filled with families who are just trying to get away from their horrible plight in the countries that they live in. I looked at the demographics of that caravan. They weren't families. They were mostly young men, I would say under 30, and coming to America. Now, why would that be happening? I believe for two reasons. One, the Democrats want the vote. And two, the Republicans, special interests, the Chamber of Commerce or the Chamber of Horrors, and the major corporations have a plan. And their plan to beat inflation is to bring in more workers so that they can reduce the wages of the American worker, which is out of whack with the rest of the world. And besides, the Americans are making too much money. Does that make sense? Well, in the twisted mind of a crazy leftist, it makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you you talked about um, uh, a permanent political majority for the Democrats. You talked about the Chamber of Commerce wanting cheap labor. Um, And there's also the theory floating out there called the Great Replacement Theory, which says this is all racially motivated and basically we got to get rid of all the the white people and turn our country over to other colored people. Uh, And uh, I will leave the speculation about motive to other people. I've recounted a set of facts which on their face are bad enough. We can stop right there with those facts and say something's got to change. Uh, I don't have to get into speculating about um, uh, permanent political majority for the Democrats or other motives, um, which all may could be true, but the facts speak for themselves. They're bad enough, so I don't need to go beyond them. They certainly are, and I truly believe that this is one of the reasons why we have the COVID emergency the way we do. You're asking a good question. How is that working? How is that fair? Well, I believe it's not supposed to be fair. Just imagine, folks, if we allowed these criminals to come into our country without any type of protection, could we have another emergency that might stop the election? Think about that one, folks. One of the things that I have noticed as a former teacher, Chris, going in line with what we have going on today, as they are determining that race is the issue and that everything must be decided upon race in order for, quote, the brown people, the black people, the minority people to get ahead, standards are being reduced. When standards are reduced and facts are manipulated, uh, the science is definitely breached. There is no science behind anything that's happening today. Most of it is being done on raw emotion to make the American people feel emotional, to feel sorry for whomever. But standards being reduced does not assist the country. It makes it worse. 
It makes us in a position, a deficit position, as we are no longer looking for the best and brightest. And man, that is so evident as you listen to these government officials. Does anybody know what's going on? Is anybody minding the store? And we see that in our government as these people who are running the show cannot put a plan together that will accomplish anything to assist the American people. Perhaps they don't want to. And thank God the parents are finally fighting back. They're beginning to see what their children are learning. And it is not learning of anything of value. Chris, there seems to be a war on parents. You wrote an article about that. Can you share that with everyone? I do think it's a, a war on parents and it's a war on the family. It's a war on on uh, on the American system as it's been heretofore. And you mentioned lower standards. Um, so recent stories talk about there's a one school district, I forget where it is, they're just gonna do with, uh, they're gonna have racially assigned grades. Uh, so that, that uh, is lowering standards and a complete insult to anybody uh, of any color who uh, is perfectly capable of, of academic achievement. Um, there's another couple of school districts that want to get rid of their gifted and talented programs because that would make uh, people who aren't in those programs feel bad about themselves. So again, we have uh, uh, the, the overarching theme here is a lowering of academic standards, which I don't think helps people in the long run and certainly does not prepare them for life. But one aspect of this war on parents is that, and you mentioned it, the parents getting to see or, yeah, for all these things going on for the first time. Well, some of them are taking action. Some of them are fighting back. Now, I, when I wrote this commentary, which was actually about a month ago, um, I put together a number of things that are happening around the country. But uh, since that time, I haven't had time to assemble it yet, but there's, there are, are still more, yet more things that parents are doing. But if we can go back at a point in time a month ago, we'll find out uh, that there is still plenty going on at that time. And here's the commentary I wrote then. Others more clever than me have observed, never get it between a mama bear and her cubs. Parents around the country are fighting back against the hard left takeover of public schools using the courts, state legislatures, and several other means. Parents are challenging books in school libraries and classrooms in record numbers. They're objecting to sexually explicit content, profanity, anti-police messaging, and other left-wing indoctrination found in school books. The most challenged books are Gender Queer and Lawn Boy, the latter a gay story normalizing sex acts between fourth graders, which has been criticized for encouraging pedophilia. Members of the Association of Mature American Citizens, AMAC, have inundated Disney executives with almost 150,000 phone calls and emails objecting to the company's self-described, not-so-secret, gay agenda. There's a website where you can join this national campaign. Parents in North Carolina protested an elementary school Satan Club, which is an organized effort now pushing hard in several states. An elementary school in Pennsylvania refused to allow such a club. 
The America First Legal Group has a website showing parents how they can assert the Federal Protection of Pupil Rights Amendment, which allows parents to review curriculum and opt their children out of school surveys that pry into students' sex lives, drug use, and attitudes. In the courts, parents sued the Baltimore City Public Schools, where kids graduate from high school without being able to read, for failing children and wasting taxpayer money. In Florida, a conservative legal foundation filed a lawsuit on behalf of two parents against a school district for hiding the transgender counseling the school was giving their 12-year-old daughter who attempted suicide twice. Similar suits against schools for secret gender transitioning have also been filed in Massachusetts, Wisconsin, and Maryland. One attorney for parents pointed out schools have parents sign forms for field trips and require parental consent before a school can give a child ibuprofen, but somehow, magically, schools claim harmful gender transitioning is exempt from disclosure. As for legislation, the Iowa House passed a bill to require schools to post their curriculum and materials online for parental review. A curriculum transparency bill is also pending in Arizona. Another bill in Arizona would prohibit schools from exposing kids to sexually explicit content without parental consent. Which brings us to the new law in Florida, relatively new, is newer at the time that I wrote this, new law in Florida that prohibits the early sexualization of young children third grade and below in public schools, the law that made Disney throw a hissy fit. It's already having results. At least two teachers are planning to leave the profession because they feel they are no longer free to talk to their students about their gay proclivities or their gay marriage. What's odd about these two is that they both teach above the third grade, so the law doesn't, doesn't even apply to them. Be that as it may, I say good riddance if you are only there to indoctrinate kids into the gay agenda. Private sexual activity between consenting adults is one thing, but it's quite another to claim the right to promote left-wing agendas in the classroom and interfere in your young charges' sexual development. Unfortunately, left-wing agitators no longer distinguish between the two. Being forced under penalty of law to shut your mouth about your sex life is what you get for coming between mama bears and their cubs. Chris, what an incredible article, right to the point, pinpointing everything that's going on. Folks, it is becoming more and more critical that we pay attention to what's going on in our schools because breeding mediocre people means that we will have mediocre experts in a mediocre government telling us what to do, and that will never work. Well, Chris, as always, your articles are right on track with everything. And now we go to our next and final notification for everyone who is doing the same thing we are, hunting rhinos. Chris has started a team and we are on a rhino hunt. Chris, can you share that with everyone? Sure, Karen. I founded the Rhino Hunt team because I was hearing the same thing all over the country. <clears throat> Grassroots activists like us having trouble dealing with their local Republican parties. It's the Republican establishment, the rhinos, uh, whatever you want to call them. Uh, people have been complaining about them ever since, uh, I think about 1954, it was the first issue of National Review. Bill Buckley wrote the inaugural editorial, and in it, he talked about the, uh, the establishment versus the grassroots. He had different terms for it back then, but it was the same idea. So this split in the Republican Party has been uh, ongoing since that time, but nobody's ever tried to do anything systematic about it, nobody from the grassroots. So I formed the team. We meet once a week, and uh, we're going about it systematically. 
I kept hearing the same thing around the country. So I canvassed my network. I found a group of, of uh, activists who were interested. I found a lot of interest, actually. So we formed this team and got uh, seven or eight people who show up on a regular basis. And there we talk about uh, various situations around the country. We develop methodology to deal with rhinos uh, in locally. And what we're trying to do is, is change the dynamics. We think that uh, the local grassroots are often overpowered by the local establishment. But if we can bring national attention to bear on a local situation, perhaps we can change the dynamics of a local situation. So it's kind of like that Edgar Allan Poe story where the guy teases his cat and he teases the cat and he teases the cat. And then he comes home one day and he turns around and he closes the door and he turns around and the cat is bigger than he is. So that's what we're trying to do. And certainly we are in a position where if we allow them, they will be a lot bigger than we intend them to be. Chris, you had a good success with one of the rhinos on a rhino hunt. Can you share that so people understand what this is all about? This is not just saying you're a rhino. We are looking for what their actions are that are working to destroy this country. Well, <clears throat> our work, work shows up on my personal website. It's liberato.us, L-I-B as in boy, E-R-A, uh, T as in Tom, O.us, liberato.us. Rhino Hunt is one of the main buttons uh, on the button bar, so it's easy to find. And then we report our successes. Uh, I will tell you that one of our members had a success where in her local GOP unit, they held a candidate forum in defiance of their local establishment. So it is possible to defy your local establishment and win. Um, you may be talking, Karen, about our first confrontation. We've been at this for a few months. It took a while to develop methodology, to, to find our sea legs, as it were. And we're finally at the point where we're ready to go out and talk to groups about it, consult with them, tell them what we what we found out in terms of what's effective. And uh, we uh, reached the point where we were able to do our first confrontation. And this was against the Minnesota GOP, MinGOP, as they call it there. And it was on the uh, issue of election fraud. We find that one of the main dividing lines between the grassroots and the re uh, Republican establishment is the, est the establishment's complete lack of interest in election integrity, whereas that's of great interest and paramount importance to the grassroots. So <clears throat> James O'Keefe, you might recall, did a couple of videos uh, back in 2020 showing that Elon Omar's staff was involved in a vote buying scheme in her district. And uh, so what we did was we put questions to the Minnesota GOP and to find out what, if anything, they did in response to these videos. So we wrote them, we wrote them twice, gave them, gave them every opportunity to respond. They didn't respond and we put the results on the uh, liberato.us rhino hunt page. And I asked them, one of the questions I asked them was, did Min GOP issue a press release, have the matter reviewed by an election law attorney, call for an investigation, collaborate on state legislator letters, uh, take steps to disrupt the scheme in future elections, follow up in any way, it seems to me that uh, if you're interested in winning elections, you would want to do something about election fraud. And if they've taken no steps to disrupt the scheme in future elections, well, what kind of results do they expect? Ah, the same results over and over again when you do the same thing over and over again. So Isn't if we want to... Is that called insanity? <laughs> I think that is. And since the grassroots are not insane, folks, 
this is something we have to hunt for. And we have too many of them in our political party. Time to deep six the rhinos, because we will never get ahead when we say, oh, they may be all bad, but my rhino is good. There is no such thing as a good rhino. We must get rid of these Republicans who are so willing to give the Democrats what they are looking for, that by the time they're finished, we will have no guns, no food, and no energy. How do you like living in your house and never leaving? Because that's what's going to happen. So, folks, we have to make sure that we are front and center and pay attention to what our legislators are saying and hold them accountable. Wouldn't you think so, Chris? Well, I have one final observation, and then I will invite people to get in touch with us. The observation is, uh, this is an observation by Steve Coughlin, who's a, a well-known analyst, a, a national security analyst in Washington, D.C. And he said, it's not the left that moves the country to the left. It's the rhinos who enable it and allow it. So that's why the country is moving left, because we have rhinos in control of the Republican Party in so many places. Now, I invite people to get in touch with us. Uh, if they have a story to tell us or they think that can help us or we can help them. And you can do that by contacting me, uh, Chris Wright, and the email address is tips at liberato.us. Again, that's tips at liberato.us, L-I-B as in boy, E-R-A-T as in Tom, O.us, liberato.us. And if you have a rhino story that is going on in your local community, please share it because I will bet you that it's not only happening in your local community, it's happening throughout the country. Folks, thank you all for joining us today. Chris, tell everyone quickly where they can find you one more time, and then we have to say goodbye. Liberato.us, L-I-B as in boy, E-R-A-T as in Tom, O.us, Liberato.us. Getting Chris's emails, getting his newsletter, getting his articles is an absolute necessity. If you want to fight anything, you've got to know where it comes from. You have to understand the background and you have to know how to deal with these people. And that's what Chris has been doing. Thank you so much for joining me today, Chris. I really appreciate it. And as you know, you will be back again. Your conversations are five star. Let's make them five star. This is Karen Schoen. You're listening to the Prism of America's Education brought to you on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance, who is working also on a rhino hunt, but more in the education field. Go to the Florida Citizens Alliance website, that is goflca.com. Find the work that you see there and copy it for your state. That's what America is about, great people working together. And we are great. We have to stop allowing them to put us down. See you all again next week. Have a wonderful week. But our-